Welcome to Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, recording here solo on Friday, December 18th, I believe the date is. As usual, lost track of time. It's been a crazy week. Hope everyone is safe and uh, uh, dug out, uh, weathered the storm safely and has dug out at this point. Um, we're uh, rapidly approaching the holidays here, as everyone knows, so we hope uh, that you're preparing and, and getting ready for uh, those celebrations. Um, and for those who have been celebrating Hanukkah and other, other occasions, our, uh, our best uh, season's wishes to everyone out there in our communities, um, in Cranston, Warwick, and Johnston. Um, so for today... Uh, I wanted to check in. We took another uh, week hiatus last week, given just how scrambled everything has been. We've we've uh, been a little touch and go with recording, but um, over this past weekend, I uh, had a chance to catch up with Mayor Alan Fung, um, who is, uh, as everyone knows, leaving office in just a couple short weeks here now. Um, after 12 years on the job, he was gracious enough to uh, come in and spend some time with me last Saturday. Um, his wife Barbara Ann joined and sat sat in, but uh, it was it was really the mayor and I talking about his his uh, his tenure. Uh, we touched on a bunch of stuff, um, you know, from his his early days in uh, the political arena. You know, his his razor thin loss for the mayor's office in his first run in 2006, and then. Um, coming front, back from that two years later, um, winning the seat and, and having held it ever since and winning by wide margins um, in his races, uh, including one uncontested race. Um, and along the way, obviously, he, he ran for governor twice. He, uh, you know, we, we and we touched on some of the, uh, you know, the lower points of his administration as well. The, the ticket gate episode and the state police involvement in, in Cranston and the Cranston Police Department. But also on, uh, you know, the the higher points, which, um, you know, he, the mayor's leaving office here uh, on the heels of uh, an election that saw a number of pretty clear wins for him. His chosen successor, Ken Hopkins, won the mayor's office. The Republicans held um, the city council. Um, his wife, Barbara Ann, won, uh, uh, you know, the biggest the upset and the, the, the biggest race, the most uh, attention-grabbing race in the state this year, unseating Speaker Mattiello, um, and set to join the General Assembly. And uh, some charter amendments passed by wide margins that, uh, you know, the mayor has championed and uh, are, that he, you know, he and the supporters frame as ways to kind of codify uh, his financial approach, his approach to managing the city's um, uh, finances. And, uh, you know, frankly, and we've talked about this point a lot, you know, that I think, you know, going into a big issue on the campaign this year was, uh, you know, an appetite, certainly, I think, among a lot of residents to continue the Fung legacy, to continue um, at least the, the kind of relative financial stability the city has seen in the last decade plus compared to some previous eras and under some previous administrations. And Councilman Hopkins certainly ran a, a campaign that was um, heavy on the, you know, the Fung legacy and his embrace of it. And um, so I think there's just, you know, that provides pretty clear evidence, I think, that the mayor's brand in Cranston remains really strong, that he is viewed favorably by um, a lot of folks in the community. And, um, you know, we... He's, uh, he's pretty mum at this point about what his future plans are, um, aside from, you know, the, the, it, it's uh, uh, clear, it seems, that he has, uh, his, his uh, electoral ambitions are not, uh, are not done and uh, that he will be back as a candidate, I would imagine, in some capacity for some office here, whether it's uh, another run for governor or for, or for something else, but... Um, you know, we'll certainly, I know there's a lot of interest in that from people about uh, where the mayor will go next, but it was really great to catch up with him and uh, and talk with him about uh, his legacy in the last 12 years and where things go from here. Um, so we'll get to that in a couple minutes. 
Um, I'll note, too, that uh, uh, I am set to meet with Mayor-elect Hopkins on Monday, so uh, hopefully we'll be bringing you some of that conversation shortly. Um, and I'll note, too, that I'll, I'll be writing a story for, for the print edition of the Herald um, on my uh, conversation with the mayor and also hopefully fleshing it out a bit with some more community, uh, you know, the reflections from folks in the community about, about uh, what his tenure has meant um, for the city in the coming weeks, and then we'll certainly have coverage as well of uh, Councilman Hopkins' uh, incoming administration, the inauguration plans, which uh, the inaugural is um, not too far away. I believe it's January 4th, he said last night during a council meeting. So um, we'll see what he has to say on that front, but look for that conversation coming up as well. Um, to touch on uh, the other, uh, you know, big news that I've been following, and it's taken up, <laughs> taken up a lot of my time lately, and I know it's taken up a lot of the time of, of everyone involved in it, um, has been the debate and the public hearing process over the Cranston Crossing development at, uh, that's been proposed, had been proposed at the current Mulligan's Island site. There was a lengthy uh, continuation meeting of the City Council's Ordinance Committee on uh, Monday of this week, last week they had started their hearing process, um, continued it another night. I guess to back up even a little bit more, because um, I, I, we've touched on this since uh, since we last recorded, since we last had an episode, there had been some developments. But um, long story short, after months of delays, on December 1st, the Planning Commission began its hearing process on the Mulligan, on the Cranston Crossing proposal. Um, the developer had uh, had refiled or, or, or amended their um, plans. Um, this obviously was still anchored by a Costco um, wholesale club with some other future commercial uses uh, outlined for the site, and they were seeking a zoning change called a um, an amendment, a major amendment to the zoning that currently governs the site, which is called a mixed-use plan district. It's a little different than any other zone in the city in that it uh, is kind of specifically tailored to, um, you know, like the existing one is specifically tailored to the Mulligan's operation. Unlike a, a traditional, say, C4 commercial zone, a commercial highway, which would allow us a certain, you know, set of uses without any real restrictions beyond that on the site, um, this would uh, have had more restrictions and it, it was pitched as providing more um oversight for the city in terms of what would potentially go on the site in the future. Um, so the Planning Commission began its hearings on December 1st. The first uh, night ran, I think, five hours, I, I recall. I, I don't recall now, but the each one of these hearings has run extremely long. Um, you know, they heard testimony from uh, the developer, Coastal Partners, LLC out of Massachusetts, as well as the Cranston Neighbors for Smart Development, Citizens Opposition Group, and uh, and then a litany of public speakers as well, you know, members of the public who commented on the project. After that, they adjourned their meeting until the next week, December 8th. At that point, they made a negative recommendation after some deliberation on the project. It was a 6-1 vote. Two commission members, two members of the nine-member planning commission were absent that night, and one um, abstained, uh, kind of pushing had uh, wanted no recommendation on the project, asserting, <clears throat> excuse me, asserting that it was a uh, more of a policy decision for the uh, city council to make, um, and that that kind of followed suit with the planning staff's recommendation, uh, which was no recommendation. They had um, basically told the planning commission to, uh, you know, based on their review, that they couldn't definitively state that what was being proposed was consistent with the city's comprehensive plan, that it was consistent with some elements, inconsistent with others, and so that a final um, determination would be up to the commission. Effectively, it, it seemed, you know, making it a policy question. But six members of the commission, um, including the chairman, Michael Smith, Fred Vincent, um, Kathleen Lanfear, all raised uh, basically 
their point was in the end that uh, the onus was on the developer to prove the compatibility of the project with the comprehensive plan and that they had not done so you know they had other varying points each of them each of them within that kind of broader um broader argument or broader determination but um and i know i'm getting kind of technical and jargony but uh that's kind of how this process has been you know it's um it's a, a, a unique it has been a unique application uh, compared with a lot of others and um it is kind of this uh a lot of this procedural and technical stuff has been really essential to the consideration in a way that it, you know, it always is, I guess, but it's really heightened in this process or has been. Um, anyway, so a couple days later after that December 8th planning vote, the ordinance committee began its hearings. That uh, night also ran really long. Um, you know, it was a lot of the same presentations from the developer, from the neighbors group, from, uh, um, and then they ran into uh, a second night with members of the public. Um, and the ordinance committee decided, because of the late hour, I believe they adjourned at something like 1130 on Monday night, um, to forward the matter to the full council without a recommendation. Since, you know, the, the, you know it's a seven-member ordinance committee, um, not that far removed from the nine members of the council of the full council so it was it was because of the late hour they they momentarily uh um, entertained sus suspending their rules and uh, which provide for um meetings to end by midnight but they didn't go that course they just forwarded along so we, it was uh, i was geared up for and a lot of people were a um another long night on thursday yesterday as the council held its regular monthly meeting which was it's normally on monday but was moved up because of the holiday um, upcoming holiday weeks but uh in between on uh in a letter dated december 15th and that uh, was posted publicly the next day the 16th coastal partners withdrew the application so at this point cranston crossing and costco are a no-go um, the developer has taken it off the table and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. I um, reached out to Michael D. D. Giuseppe, the uh, managing partner of Coastal Partners, um, and uh, he uh, said no. They're not commenting at this point. Um, so have the owners, the current owners, the Freedmans of Mulligan's Island. They've uh, they're withholding comment or, or holding off on that at this point. So. Um, it remains unclear what the future of Mulligans will be. The Freedmans have been pretty strong in saying that uh, their current operation is not sustainable, um, that Mulligans won't be there forever. Um, you know, during this process, uh, the specter of uh, the state moving to reacquire the property, um, the state had, had owned it prior to uh, the Mulligans operation and, uh, um, it used to be known as the cornfields, as uh, most folks know, was open space, undeveloped. Um, so they've raised this, uh, you know, this, this uh, saying that the state is, is kind of actively interested in um, redeveloping the site. Um, haven't been able to confirm that at this point, and I'm not sure, you know, they, they allude to conversations they've had in the past with state officials as well as a... Um, an apparent master plan review of the Pastori complex that's that's underway. Um, so there's certainly some more reporting to be done there. But um, uh, you know, opponents of the or, or op opponents of Cranston Crossing have you know questioned that assertion that the state is looking at the site again. Um, Kevin Flynn, the city's former planning director, also used to work for the state, um, who was employed by. Uh, Cranston Neighbors for Smart Development as one of their experts and kind of presented on their behalf and made the case against Cranston Crossing. Uh, he used some strong language to uh, dismiss the the state's uh, designs, you know, that that prospect as a red herring. Um, so it's, it's unclear at this point um, whether that's a possibility, um, but certainly, uh, you know, it, it would appear that... Uh, 
in the not too distant future, the Mulligan site will look different. Whether there's anything operating there, whether it uh, some revised form of this Costco proposal comes up, I know a number of um, you know the candidates and uh, incoming council members uh, and, and Mayor uh, Elect Hopkins as well have spoken about their interest in um, some sort of recreational facility at the site. Um, but not a lot of specificity at this point about, uh, you know, the, there's been a purchase agreement in place between uh, Coastal Partners and Mulligans for the site. So that may have, if there are other prospective buyers, that may have, uh, you know, certainly cooled or put off any any talks or, or more formal arrangements on that end. Maybe something, you know, an alternative arrangement emerges, but... Um, you know, it's it's a little unclear, too, at this point. Um, talking with uh, the city's planning director, Jason Pizzullo, typically, um, you know, the, the withdrawal, a project cannot be reintroduced within a two-year time frame or a, a zoning change like this um, would have a, a, you know, a two-year window when it can't be brought back. Um, legally, it's... Uh, I think a little unclear at this point because there was no final vote, but they did go through this entire hearing process. Um, so I don't, the legality of that may get tested. I'm not, um, you know, I certainly have to do some more uh, research into that as well to see, you know, whether, um, and it, if the project were revised significantly enough, those restrictions, um, you know, that two year window wouldn't apply necessarily. So, um, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot to consider moving forward. A lot of, you know, as, as much as uh, this has definitively ended the, uh, for now, likelihood of, uh, or, or possibility of, uh, of Costco and that new development coming to the site, it's raised a whole host of other questions now about what the future holds. So we'll be watching that uh, intently, and I'm uh, hoping that uh, maybe after the new year, some of the folks behind this proposal um, will be willing to speak a bit more about uh, why it was withdrawn and and what uh, and what they are looking at going forward. But it was a, kind of a strange, you know, for all the really a lot of hours. I know the, the we're devoted to the hearings. I know city staff has spent a lot of time on this proposal. It, it certainly generated a lot of attention. It came right in the midst of the election campaign this year and um, um, you know became a, a heated issue out there um, on both sides so it's uh, we, we'll be watching to see where it goes and um, but it was just kind of for for it all to it uh, after gearing up for another long night there on Thursday it uh, it uh, has now just moved to the back burner again so we'll, we'll see where things go but that uh, I think has been um, you know, that's one of the, the, the more significant stories that's been uh, on my radar lately. Um, so anyway, for observers, just that's kind of a roundup there. We'll, uh, we'll have certainly a story in this coming week's edition. I know, too, for Herald readers and, and Beacon readers as well, um, our mastheads looked a little different this week. Um, that was due to a, uh, an issue with our normal press in Attleboro. They uh, had some uh, disruption to their operations, virus-related. Um, thankfully, it seems everyone is, uh, the situation is, is uh, okay, and uh, they're doing okay, um, and should be back online for us, but our paper was printed at an alternate site this week, and uh, to accommodate their mailing label um, setup for folks that uh, get the paper by mail, um, we, uh, we did have to alter our mastheads a little bit, so if you see a different look to the Herald and the Beacon this week, uh, it will be back, it should be back to normal next week looking looking the same as it ever did so um, with that uh, you know there's not uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, Jake and I will uh, catch up again probably uh, in the next uh, week or week and a half here maybe do a bit of a year in review roundup maybe uh, maybe I can coax John Howell into sitting down with us as well and and talking about uh, what has been a, uh, a quite a year for us here in the in the news business, um, and 
looking back on what the the major headlines have been and and the developments in our communities. But uh, for now, we'll uh, move on to my conversation with Mayor Alan Fung. Thanks again to the mayor for taking the time. Thanks you all out there for listening. Um, have a safe weekend, and uh, on the off chance we don't record again in the next uh, week or so here, have a happy holiday season, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for making the time this morning. How are you? No, thanks, Dan, for having me. You know, counting down the days. Yeah, we're getting very close here. It's, yeah. uh, we're recording on, what is today, the, uh, the 12th. 12th. December 12th, so... That seems know, impossible. It, it is a little crazy, but, you know, 12 years is going by pretty quick, so... Yeah. You know, or it seems it's going by quick, but it's just, uh, it's tough to imagine from when I first took office... You know, back in January of 2009, getting sworn in, I remember, you know, how proud my parents were, how so many people across what I was watching because we had made history. Yeah. You know, being the first Asian American, you know, mayor, you know, in the state's history. You know, I remember Cranston East where it was just packed, and obviously it's going to be different with Ken coming in. Yeah. Uh, in a few more weeks, but. You know, there was a lot of pride, a lot of hope, a lot of enthusiasm, um, and a lot of hard work, too. So, you know, I'm proud of, you know, where we started, how we started, but there was a lot of pressure, you know, even back then. Um, you know, the city, as we've seen over the past 12 years, changed in so many different ways. Yeah. The demographics of the city and trying to make sure that the policies you put into place... Um, you know, met those demographics, but also making sure that, you know, when we started, we had a team of people that was representative of the demographics too. You know, I was proud during the times that, you know, when we started, we had the first female director of administration, city's history. Uh, my city solicitor was visually impaired, so that was a first. Um, ultimately, you know, uh, Carlos uh, Lopez Estrada, you know, became first Latino chief of staff. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a lot of monumental, you know, uh, moments during those first part of the terms. And over time, we've ensured that a lot of the city departments have, you know, diversified to meet the needs. Even our firefighter, which was a challenge for years, not having uh, any females uh, within the department. Now we have three. So, you know, there's been a lot of progress in so many different departments, and I'm proud that we started back then to where we are today. Yeah. Going all the way back, when when did you decide that you wanted to run for mayor? Was this, uh, you know, how long has this been an aspiration for you? It's funny because if you go all the way back to my high school yearbook, mm. and as you know, Angel uh, and I were at classical together. You yeah. open up that yearbook, both of us just wanted to, you know, be lawyers. You know, politics was the furthest, you know, from my mind. Uh, I ended up studying politics uh, at Rhode Island College. Never really envisioned running for office one day. But I always wanted to help people be an advocate, you know, as a lawyer. And I jumped into politics back in early 2001 because I just didn't like the direction of the city. When I, that's when I first ran for the city council. Mm -hmm. uh, when then Mayor Laffey decided to um, you know, run for a higher office, and I was proud of a lot of the work that we did, uh, part of that team, you know, working with the then mayor, the council members to put together a plan to turn the city around from that junk bond status. You know, I was angry because you know, the city that's meant so much to myself and my family, where you know, my parents' restaurant was there for 35 years in Cranston. Yeah. You know, ultimately, it was a goal for my parents, who were first generation, to move from Providence into Cranston to make their home. And my mom still lives in that house that they bought in Garden City to this day. Mm -hmm. It's made me angry that some of the leaders that I voted for supported, 
you know, put the city in that bad situation. And it really impressed on, not impressed, but dawned on me as I was in as the council level that, look, you can effectuate a lot of change if you make the right decisions. And that's what led me to run for mayor. Now, although I just missed out in the closest race in city history yeah. the first time, I wasn't deterred because in my heart, I had the passion and drive to want to change the city. Yeah. I, I didn't know you then. I wasn't covering the city then, but I, I wanted to ask about that, that uh, 2006 race. I mean, what, what was that like? And what were, what were the couple of years after that like? It, it was crazy, um, crazy times, crazy election cycle. Um, you know, the city was starting to get back on its feet. And, you know, I had, you know, won two terms on the city council, one of the at-large members. Yeah. But, you know, running for mayor, it's a whole different ball game. Uh, you had to up your game. And it was a challenge, you know, going against um, Mike Napolitano, who was a, you know, city municipal court judge who's, um, you know, had long involvement in Cranton. So it was a battle back and forth all throughout. Ultimately, you know, closest race in city history, yeah. you know, to date. It's less than 100 uh, votes, right? It turned out to be uh, 72 votes wow. in total. We had a, well, thanks to that election, um, we had this challenge that went up all the way to the um, Rhode Island Supreme Court mm -hmm. about access to ballots and making sure that every vote was counted. So, you know, we set a lot of precedent back then and, you know, made a lot of history, at least from the electoral side, but it didn't deter me, um, you know, having that close, you know, loss uh, from wanting to come back into, you know, politics, staying involved in the community. And, you know, even during that time um, that, you know, I was back at MetLife working, you know, um, helping my parents, I was still involved in so many different activities in Cranston, in my heart, you know, I knew that I wanted to be in that seat to kind of really make some impactful changes for years to come. And you take a look at it 12 years later, I'm proud of a lot of the work that we've put in to really improve our parks uh, and recreation facilities, improve our library, which just won that national award. Yeah. You know, our schools are investing in the infrastructure so that, you know, that demonstration project even park is gonna be the schools of the future all throughout Cranston, um, making sure that you know our departments are diversified to the best that they can, making sure that you know we're you know running in the black, you know from those early days when I inherited a budget that um, was out of control both on the city and school side, but we made those difficult decisions um, because of those difficult decisions, including. You know, something that, um, you know, people thought would never happen with pension. You know, resolving that long-standing legacy problem with that unfunded uh, pension liability for police and fire. So all of that have led to improvements so that we can utilize the dollars to, you know, put more parks in. Using public-private partnerships like with Cranston West with the field so that you know, we put the field in, but they were doing helping on the stands and the community coming together, uh, making sure we improve businesses and not just in that central part in Chapel View and Garden City, but out in the western side. You know, you had companies like Cadence that had a multi-million dollar expansion there. Mm -hmm. You know, we brought in Dean Warehouse, even Patuxet Village. You know, making sure that the quality of the village, the small businesses there, were able to operate and open. So we made meaningful changes in all different parts of the city. Yeah, I know. Uh, we've uh, we've spoken a little bit about this in the past. I know, but you know, the, the, you took office. You were facing. Uh, it seems to be really you know turbulent circumstances between the the aftermath of the financial crisis, the floods that occurred shortly after. You know, what was it like as a, a young mayor in those uh, those early couple of years facing those really enormous challenges? It was a lot of challenge, a lot of pressure, and a lot a lot of fastballs thrown at you, at your head, uh, right off the bat. You, you felt like you were, you know, 
standing up in the batter's box, a rookie in a major league baseball game, and you had the veteran pitcher just constantly throwing that, you know, 99-mile-an-hour fastball right at your head. Yeah. It's all coming at once. So, you know, but I was up for it. And that's what I've loved about the job, all the challenges. And those early tests, because it was, first of all, not just the budget uh, challenges that, that I inherited from the last administration, but the economy. We were going into... You know, one of the worst recessions that our country had seen, you know, at that time. And then within that first, you know, term, you know, uh, a year into it, you had the devastating floods, you know, the, you know, not once, but twice, mm-hmm. you know, within this short period of time to put half the city on the water. You know, so a lot of different things were not just, you know, wrecking the city's finances, but a lot impacting a lot of our residents' lives. So to be able to put together and work together closely, not just with the team within Cranston, but also, you know, I was fortunate in having uh, Mayor Abadijan in Warwick. So, mm. you know, with the floods, we worked together, our teams worked together. And that opened up the opportunity for us to kind of even explore other avenues of consolidation, you know, where, you know, we, you know, we're delivering ultimately later on, you know, through those collaborative efforts and discussions, we started at our Cranston Senior Center, you know, delivering the meals at the Pilgrim Senior Center. So mm-hmm. it led to a lot more partnerships, working together, stuff that had just been talked about, you know, for years. We were able actually to implement uh, just through uh, teamwork. But sometimes it's those crises that lead you to more productive opportunities. And you know, as I always say, never let a good crisis go to waste because you can learn a lot from it and achieve a lot from it. Yeah. Was there a was there a point where it like where it clicked for you? You know, or where you sensed you know, like this? I, I I'm inhabiting this role, or where you felt something? You know, a, a shift in the community where people, you know, really because you know, noting that uh, 2006 race, you know, every race since. You've won handily. One race you ran uncontested. You know, mm-hmm. is, was there a point at which you, you know, you felt that shift, or, or is that? Uh... I think I'm not sure if there was one point in time, but one thing that I know is I've always been engaged with the residents. Like, you know, early on, you didn't have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know, it was only in its infancy stage. Mm-hmm. You know, back then. So while you were trying to kind of get used to it and, you know, get information out, it was the good old-fashioned town hall meetings Yeah, where a lot of times I took what was going on at City Hall um, out to the residents in their backyards. You know, I remember holding town halls in um, at the Greek church on Oakland Avenue in the central part, you know, another uh, area up in the western side, and even the central library and hall library, you know, um, you know, so that way we hit different parts of our city and people had an opportunity to engage with, you know, their mayor and ask questions that were important to them. And I also brought a lot of our department directors out with me so that they can see, first of all, the changing faces of our leaders, but most importantly, get answers that they never got before directly from the heads of these departments. Mm. So I think that, you know, really got a lot of people to buy in uh, to not only what I was trying to do for my vision for the city, but really create a connectivity with the residents. And with social media now, it's made it a lot more easier to engage uh, in a different, you know, forum. So while, you know, in-person is always best, there's different ways to communicate now. Sure. I, I got to ask, you know, I, I started covering Cranston um, right at the end of 2013, right as yeah. the, the, the ticket gate episode, you yeah. know, came out. I remember that council meeting, um, you know, and that produced a couple of years of uh, yeah. of stuff that, you know, resulted in, uh, led to a no confidence vote. Um, you know, the, what what was that whole time like for you? Was that, you know, is that the low point of the administration or is that? I would say, look, you have your ups and downs. And certainly for me, any decision that you make, there's always going to be people on the opposite side. But for me, I tackled that, you know, challenge head on, you know, uh, like you're talking about. I answered the questions, you know, not only just in front of the city council, 
uh, where I stood in front of them answering every single question, but also with the media. You know, what I've always found in difficult times, being transparent, letting people know, um, you know, what happened, why, and just answering those questions to the best of your ability, that's what buys you the trust. And I think that's what happened there. You know, the biggest lesson for me out of that, I should have, you know, went outside with the police chief, you know, earlier on than I did. And you take a look at that department, I made that decision Mm. to conduct that hard review of the police department. I made that decision to bring in for the first time in the city's history, the first, you know, police chief, the former number two, and take a look at the department now. It's a model. Mm. It's a model where, you know, I'm proud to, you know, just a few month and a half ago to be standing with a lot of our men and women out on Elmwood Avenue, side by side with them, as you know, you've got a lot of protesters, rioters, those you know, street you know, bikers that were just going out of control on the Providence side, and say no more. You've got a department that's filled with pride now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of things you know happen in 12 years, but I can say proudly that we made the difference to make the fundamental changes that need to be made. What was it like for you personally during that time? I mean, was it... Uh... Oh, challenges are always difficult. You know, any challenge that you encounter. Yeah. But, you know, so long as you're transparent, upfront about it, you can put your, you know, head on the pillow at night. You know? But it's always, you're always going to have those ups and downs in any administration mm. and even in your personal life. It's how you deal with it uh, that matters. Yeah. And the lessons that you learn from it. That time also coincided with your first run for governor. What, mm-hmm. When did that become, a, you know, when did you decide to seek that office? What kind of... I think one of the things that I really enjoy about the job as mayor is you're the chief executive. You have that opportunity to leave your footprint on, you know, in this case, Cranston. And your policy decisions you make, the people that you put, you know, and rely upon to help a lot of your residents uh, fits the same dynamics as governor. And I saw that as a great opportunity to help the state because I still see the state as struggling, struggling with, you know, coming out of, you know, that recession where, you know, it's frustrating as a native Rhode Islander born and raised here to, you know, see we're always the first one into a situation, the last one to come out. Mm. You know, I'm tired of that mantra, and I've shown in Cranston that it doesn't have to be that way uh, so long as you work together with people. Uh, and, you know, I know that a lot of the business policies I put into place are the right recipes, not just for Cranston, but for many cities and towns in the state. I know that, you know, what we did to improve our schools, what we did to improve our libraries, what we did to, you know, diversify the police and fire or administration are the same policies I would put in place at the state level. So that's when, you know, I kind of decided that, look, I know I can help, you know, a state that's been so good to my family. It it seems to me that, you know, the most central part of your legacy, I think, in the minds of a lot of residents, and I think it was seen in the way that the, the campaign played out this year for mayor and for council, is that, you know, folks view your tenure as a time of improvement in the city's fiscal standing, um, you know, and, and stability relative to some previous administrations. Um, and there were some charter amendments approved this year to that effect that you championed. Um, some of the fiscal policies now will be codified um, going forward. You know, how important that is, is that to you, you know, that you're leaving that legacy and, and what did it take to, uh, I mean, you've, you've touched on it a bit, but yeah. what it's been like to get to this point. It's very important to me because it took a lot of hard work. You know, I mentioned that a big central piece of it was, you know, solving that pension problem, a case that went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So that's something that, you know, really helped swing the city's finances around. Working side by side across the table from a lot of our union members to get important, you know, concessions from some of the contracts and really making sure that the dollars are invested to help improve our schools, our, you know, parks and recreation libraries and channeling the money into where we really need it to change the city. So financially, you know, I felt that those charter amendments were critically important so that what I 
experience when, you know, I first decided to run, you know, way back in the city council when, you know, they, the administration and that council took a $10 million rainy day fund and turned it into basically a $10 million deficit, a $20 million swing. Won't happen again in the future. So a lot of the policies I put into place, I'm very proud of, you know, watching, you know, what we do, but most importantly, still investing in the city. And all of that has led to some important recognitions nationally where, you know, three years in a row, we were named one of the best cities to live in America. You know, Money Magazine uh, recognized us as the best place to live in Rhode Island a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the library getting there. Uh, uh, national award, but a few years before, you know, Library of Weir um, had recognized them alongside Louisville, Kentucky, and others. Yeah. So, a lot of what you do um, financially can help change lives, and I really thoroughly enjoyed seeing the byproducts. Like when I go to a lot of, you know, the football games, uh, scouting events, music recitals, plays. Things just out, out and about in the community, it's about the kids mm. and the next generation. That's what I'm really proud of, you know, seeing them, you know, run out onto these fields, you know, whether it's, you know, organized sports or just enjoying, you know, some of uh, the best amenities that our city has. Seeing our libraries not stay as the, you know, static libraries of back when we grew up, mm. but you know, having a new kids reading room where they can enjoy an environment, you know, to continue to uh, read some of the stories that you and I grew up with, but read it on a different path. So it might not necessarily be a book. It could be an ebook. It mm -hmm. could be, you know, off a tablet. So there's a lot of different changes that have happened that have improved our city, all with one goal in mind for that next generation of kids. Sure. Who, uh, you mentioned a couple names earlier, you know, folks that have been part of your administration uh, during the years, you know, who do you count looking back as you know among the most uh, instrumental, important to the the success of uh, the last twelve years? They all are. Yeah, uh, I've been, you know, very fortunate to have some good people by my side, and each one of them, I you know, many of them, I still stay in close contact with, and you know, I've been very fortunate to have some you know good directors, good people in the mayor's office, uh, all with the same common goal of you know helping our residents. So, you know, I'm fortunate to call many of them my friend. Sure. Um, we've got this uh, this uh, Costco Cranston Crossing debate going on right now. Um, you know, it, it kind of is this uh, broader ongoing discussion about. Development and, and you know economic development in the city and what the right vision is for the future. You talk a lot about uh, Chapel View and Garden City, which have, have blossomed and, and uh, revitalized during the last several years. What's your hope going forward for uh, you know the city's development landscape? Yeah, one of the things that I've always tried to do with development is first of all work with the developers on their projects, but most importantly. Before a project goes through, it's got to be the right fit, you know, for not only just a comprehensive plan, but for the neighborhoods, mm. you know. And that's that's one of the things where, you know, if you take a look at where uh, in Chapel View where Top Golf is going, you know, Top Golf, you know, was unanimously approved, you know, on that council, uh, and it's in an area that, you know, while there's going to be traffic flow going in, it's not abutting a neighborhood. That's one of the distinctions, I think, between what you see going on with Costco, where it's sitting right next to not one, but three different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, but three different neighborhoods that are dealing with other issues created by the state in Harrington Hall and those sex offenders. So I think when you take a look at overall development, you know, throughout the city, you know, I've been one to provide flexibility to the developers. So, you know, I'm not one to say, oh, look, you know, that building, you, you got to keep that building for the tax revenue. I've provided fle uh, flexibility to those developers. Look, you want to knock it down? Knock it down. Make it pad ready so that, you know, if someone comes in with a vision for that corner to clean up that corner, that's how you can improve the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, so you might lose a little bit of tax revenue in the beginning, but ultimately, it leads to a better vision 
you know, for developers say, okay, I want to create not just one building, but hopefully like a whole block and which then expands into, you know, the different neighborhoods, but all within, you know, the context of, you know, a neighborhood building, you know, what you see in Garden City, Chapel View, Patuxent Village, Knightsville, you know, so what fits in, you know, one area isn't necessarily it's going to fit in the others, but yeah. having that leadership drive to provide flexibility, but keeping in mind the neighbors, that's the important drive, and that's been always part of my goals with whatever initiative we put out. Sure. What uh, What are you going to miss miss most about the job? What What uh, is there like a single thing? Is there like a you know particular? I I, I guess generally you know it's it, people are still going to know you, but it's it's going to be a little bit different, yeah. Two things, I think. The people first. Uh, it has been fun seeing a whole generation of kids. And it's kind of, it kind of stinks too because, you know, in this pandemic, you know, I saw a whole generation of kids start school and finish off and graduate this past year. And just like everyone else, I wasn't able to share that last moment as they crossed in that stage. Yeah. You know, so I really have enjoyed being a part of their lives, their families' lives for all these years, putting together, you know, changes um, that have helped them, uh, and, you know, and just to see the changes in the demographics has been important. But I think the second part, too, that I'll miss is the challenges. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a different type of person. I thrive on, you know, trying to, you know, solve difficult problems. Um, and, you know, right now with COVID, it is a difficult, you know, situation mm. that we're living in, not just in Cranston, but worldwide. And, you know, having the ability to tackle some of these challenges is something for me that, you know, I pride myself on. I relish trying to come up with creative ways to do what we can to help, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people, not just in Cranston, but all throughout. Mm. You know, it's been, um, you know, fun for me in a sense that I've connected with people in different ways but not just in Cranston but across the globe because we're sharing the same challenges and we can share ideas what works what doesn't work you know with leaders across the globe you know it's different and that's some of the stuff that I think I'll miss yeah. what are you going to miss the least what are you, what... <laughs> those you know being out on the plows at like 2 or 3 in the morning <laughs> with with a lot of those uh, hardworking uh, people that are making sure that while you know all the residents are sleeping, we're getting the roads prepared. Because uh, when you hit those small lips in a plow and it jolts through your uh, body, you know, like you're in an accident, it's like it wakes you up. Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's one of the things I'll get a chance to sleep at night and. And if my street's not plowed, I'm calling Kenny Hopkins and say, get a plow out here. I can see the appeal of handing that uh, responsibility yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. But uh, is there any you know, piece of business that you look at as, as unfinished, anything that stands out to you as, uh, you know? There's always going to be, yeah. you know, the next development, the next challenges. Uh, I think, you know, it, what I'm proud of is, you know, leaving the city in good financial shape leaving the city uh, with a diversified workforce, leaving the city uh, and many of the apartments at you know some great highs where they're really servicing their residents in such a way that they're being recognized nationally. Um, so, but the, even still, the biggest challenge I think Ken's gonna have to face is this COVID crisis mm -hmm. and the economy that's gonna flow from it. You know, as much as I saw that with the recession and it, it took time. It took time to get out of it. You're still going to see a lot of people hurting, you know, for not just like months, but, you know, potentially a little bit longer um, until the vaccine fully takes effect and our economy can fully reopen. You know, those are some of the challenges that are still going to be left, you know, unfinished for a little while. Yeah. To turn to uh, to politics a little bit, you know, it's, it seems to me that during your tenure that you, you've kind of built a real roster pipeline of of candidates of people who are involved civically um you, there's a, a republican majority on the council again a number of young younger uh republican candidates were successful this year 
Um, you know, who, who are the young leaders that you're watching going forward? What does it mean to you to kind of have built that infrastructure? Or Yeah, I, it's been great to see the team that's been built because, and as I've talked to many of them, the reason that they got involved was they love the, what we've done to revitalize Cranston, you know, in so many different ways. Um, and you see the team that we have that got elected, or even a lot of the people that ran, they bought into the vision of what we were trying to do. Um, whether, depending on what they might be impacted, whether it's the economy, like, you know, we get Ed Brady, who's so passionate about, you know, business, helping small business owners too. You know, someone like uh, Nicole Renzulli now, who, you know, is interested to ensure that not only her kids, but, you know, every family has a bright future, you know, in the schools, strong athletic, you know, programs, like, you know, that she thrived upon to lead her to get, you know, a scholarship. You know, you've got, you know, Chris Paflakis, who's now ascending into the council presidency, who's coming into his own, um, who, you know, another dynamic where you never would have thought in you know how many years that someone who's not you know Italian American would have won in Ward 5 mm-hmm. but he did he broke another barrier so there's a lot of young talent that's coming up um, on both sides it's just good people are getting involved so that's encouraging and hopefully keep a lot of what we've done in Cranston going sure you think um if you would run again this year, you think you would have won as easily in the last, if you had been able to? <laughs> uh, ask me that in January when, uh, you know, when I'm, uh, who knows what I'll be doing as a prognosticator of elections or whatever else I'll be doing. But, uh, uh, you know, look, all I can say is uh, this last election cycle, I love being out there with my wife. Mm. Um, in a way, COVID presented so many challenges with camp and you had to adapt to the challenge but I love being at the door with my wife and for me it was an uh, opportunity too also to say farewell to some of the you know residents of Cranston um, so you know who knows what could happen but you know 12 years is definitely you know a good footprint that I left on the city uh, with all that we've done to revitalize the city in so many different ways so, you yeah. know, we'll see down the line. I asked Steve Fries about this because he's, you know, kind of the resident uh, charter yep. expert and historian, you know, over yep. whether the change that was adopted would preclude you from ever seeking the mayor's office again. I, What's your understanding of that? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so because it, the way it read, I think it was like two consecutive mm-hmm. four-year terms. So, yeah. So, but, you know, like I said, I'm always looking for different challenges. Yeah, yeah. I would say, too, uh, you know, this, the results this year, I think, really were, you know, and other observers have pointed this out, you know, Barbara Ann won, uh, yeah. you know, you got the Republican Council, your chosen successor won the mayor's office, and those charter amendments passed yeah. with, with uh, really wide margins. So yeah. do you view it as as much of a vindication as, as others have uh, suggested? <laughs> or, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a vindication, I, uh, but I can say that, you know, I'm proud of the legacy that I'm leaving with Cranston. You know, and I'm not going anywhere. You know, I, I love the city. You know, my mom and my sister are still in Garden City. Uh, Bob Ann is, you know, going to be doing a lot of great things to help the city as well. So I'll still stay involved. And, you know, it is it is nice to see, you know, so many people uh, trusting in what I've done. But trusting those individuals with their votes, too, that, you know, I was supporting. Yeah. This is one I, I got to ask because I, you know, I hear it from a lot of uh, folks in the community. You know, this is obviously far removed from Cranston, but this presidential election was extremely divisive. Yeah. We've got a, we're in a situation now where the, the Supreme Court ruled yesterday kind of seems to have put the uh, final kibosh on legal challenges to the results. But there's still a lot of rhetoric from candidates locally, nationally, Republicans who are suggesting this was, you know, a fraudulent election, that the results are, uh, you know, that, that there was a... A kind of a wide wide scale theft, um, you know, and there's been criticism of of Republican leaders for not more actively speaking out. You're right. clearly a, a leader in the party here in the state. You're the most mm-hmm. recent gubernatorial standard bearer. I right. mean, do do you feel this criticism is fair? Do you do you believe that uh, 
do you view there as being having having been fraud, and and do you think the results were uh, accurate? Look, I think the best person that spoke on this was the attorney general himself when he said that look, there was no widespread fraud that impacted the election. His own attorney general, you know, I didn't see you know any type of fraud here locally, whether it was in Cranston or Rhode Island, um, you know, so. You know, ultimately, you know, for the betterment of our country, you know, and I'm glad that the president is starting to prepare for that transition. We have to prepare for, you know, an orderly transition of power. So he's certainly entitled to, you know, you know, uh, go forward with his legal challenges. That's his, you know, decision. And if he ever unearthed any, you know, type of massive fraud that would have made a difference in the election. You know, it remains to be seen, but that's on his part. But ultimately, as a country, we have to prepare for this transition of power come January 6th. Yeah, just uh, seeing local candidates adopt this kind of uh, posture, you know, Bob Lancia and others uh, come to mind, you know, it, are you worried at all about this kind of uh, divisiveness that's at the national level trickling down? To Cranston in the future, you know, down to the local level, where there has been more, it's been more collegial generally. You know, there's less. I I can't speak to those candidates and what they've, you know, uh, decided to do or what they may have seen, you know, happening. All I can tell you is what I've seen as mayor, uh, the integrity of the election process, because you know our board of canvassers, our you know um, director of the uh, board of canvassers, Nick Lima, did an excellent job. Yeah. You know, did an excellent job with ensuring that people had the opportunity to vote. It wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm proud of the work that not only they put in, but the team. And this is what it gets back to that team effort. Different people from different departments all came together to make that work so that everyone had the opportunity to vote, whether it was on election day, um, by mail ballot, or early voting. So, you know, that's. That's all I can say, you know, uh, about that. You know, I wasn't involved with any anyone else in their discussions to, you know, or decision to move forward. Sure, sure. No, I just, you know, it's it's an atmosphere on the city level that while it becomes, you know, charged at times, it's uh, it's always seems to me it's it's less raw partisanship. There is a lot of, uh, you know, on the city council currently. There's you know people work work across the aisle. There's generally good faith you know yeah. that's uh, and preserving that to me seems uh, it's important really essential it, it is critically important because even during the times that I've governed you know making sure that you know you listen is an important part of it because by listening by empathizing with what people are going through you know that's how you can put forward the best policies to help people to uh, to turn, you know, we touched on the the crisis, the, the COVID situation briefly. We got some positive news this week about uh, um, the budget picture from the state. Um, there's an agreement in place in the legislature to yeah. preserve a lot of the local aid that had been in in limbo, and there have been some fears around. I know you you had filed some legal action about this. Yeah. Uh, are you still pursuing uh, that case in light of this? And uh, you know, what's what's your initial take on? Uh, where this puts the city well certainly some good news and you know i was on the phone you know with our lawyer so basically turning you know the uh heat down a little bit Mm -hmm. uh so until the budget actually passes with those numbers and is ultimately signed by the governor or at least you know allowed to go through um we're not pressing a lawsuit so that we can save on some legal fees you know for our residents but you know ultimately uh, we need to get those dollars passed so that we can, you know, continue to help uh, people during these difficult times. Sure. We touched base on this briefly earlier this week, but how how is the city handling the crisis? Is uh, this latest surge um, how how badly is it disrupting operations? It, it's difficult. Yeah. It really is a challenge. Um, you know, we're facing it as, you know, uh, a business. You know, ourselves uh, with a lot of our workforce. Um, you know, and. It, ebbs and flows you know we've got we had departments that have been impacted you know all at once um you know fortunately we haven't really had to shut down because we've been able to um work 
you know, to the best that we can in some of these departments remotely or, you know, forward calls so that people who are, say, you know, okay at home, just quarantining, um, can still do their jobs. And, you know, so we're keeping City Hall um, open by appointment only, the departments by appointment only, and trying to ensure that we have a safe workplace for our, you know, our workers, but most importantly also, you know, to continue the service to our residents. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm hoping soon to speak with the mayor-elect a little more in depth about uh, how things are going, but from, uh, from your vantage point, how is the transition going? You know, we're, I haven't been, like, I'm not intimately, I'm not part of the transition team, but we're, you know, working to ensure that he has access to all the information, all the department directors. Um, it's got space at City Hall to conduct uh, his you know, meetings, interviews. So we're, you know, doing the best we can so that he can step in to the best extent possible on day one and just, you know, hit the ground running because it's not going to be easy. But, you know, we provided detailed transition, you know, memos, reports for... Uh, his transition team in each department highlighting, you know, all the things we've accomplished, what we're doing as part of this budget, and the goals uh, and things that need to still be done in the future. Yeah. How actively do you plan on, you know, being a resource and advisor to him? Have you talked about that with him? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm here to help. Uh, I'm not certainly going to, you know, force my opinion on anyone. And that includes, you know, with Ken, you know, I'm here as a resource because he has his own uh, ideas. Um, My, you know, style, skill sets aren't necessarily, you know, his, you know, he wants to focus on certain parts uh, versus, you know, how, you know, areas that I may be strong in. So he's going to have to, you know, um, you know, set forth his own agenda, his own vision for the city. But I'm here, you know, to provide whatever help. Uh, even if it is just a simple call or text where he picks my brain on something. Yeah. I'd be uh, I'd be remiss not to ask. I know you get this question or some version of it, and I think every every interview you do. But uh, looking ahead, you know, <laughs> two years, uh, you know, there, there'll be another election. Um, I guess yeah. I'll try to frame it this way: Are you are there any <laughs> other offices or opportunities in elected office that that you're considering, or that you know, aside from a third uh, yeah. bid? Uh, I like how you rephrased it so it's not the same question I get. I'm trying to get it. There's only so much uh, new ground we can turn with this. Yeah, exactly. No, but in all seriousness, you know, in a couple weeks, uh, come January, I'm looking forward to first, you know, swearing in Ken uh, on, you know, his inauguration. And then I'm going to take some nice time for myself. But no matter what decision I make, it's going to be with Bob Rand, you know, in mind, my family in mind. And we'll have more to say about it in a little later. But all, all I'll say right now is, as you can just hear from this interview, I have thoroughly enjoyed public service, helping people, knowing that a lot of what I've done, the skill sets that I carry, can be productive to help uh, in Rhode Island, in whatever you know endeavor I you know decide uh, for the future. Yeah. Is there any you know the kind of nutshelled advice or any any uh, that you would give to Ken or any other future mayor, you know, you're leaving office as one of the longest tenured mayors in the city's history. What, what would you, what wisdom would you try to impart? To yeah, the one thing I would say, just listen. Yeah. You know, it's always important to take good advice to heart and to listen. Ultimately, you're going to make your decision, but what I found the best decisions are, you know, where you get input from different, you know, different realms see the different sides of an issue, and then ultimately put your stamp uh, on what you decide is going to be best for that 81,000 people that live in Cranston or the million you know, people that live in Rhode Island. Yeah. Any, uh, I guess you've kind of touched on this, but any, any other parting message to residents, you know, folks that are uh, yeah. to the community? I think, you know, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of serving these past 12 years. Loved every minute of it. And, you know, and I look forward to the future. 
Well, I will be anxiously watching to see uh, <laughs> what you're doing. I think my wife are. is too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's been a, a pleasure covering you, and uh, I really I appreciate you. You've always been uh, very open and accessible to me in the, in the paper. So yeah, it's much appreciated, and thank you again for taking the time today. No, thanks, Dan. Thanks, everyone. Beacon is a production of Beacon Communications, publisher of the Warwick Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnston Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder newspapers. Find us online at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnstonsunrise.net. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at RhodeyBeat, R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Subscribe today on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or other podcast platforms.